0: It can be lonely at the top. We all know what it's like to lead and own a business and wanting to scale, but finding yourself at a glass ceiling, that's where the power of collaboration and connection comes in. Hi, I'm Natasha Milani. I'm an expert at helping businesses and business owners harness the power of collaboration to connect, scale, and grow. I am passionate about collaboration. I believe that no one executes alone. We all do better when we do it together welcome to this Power of Collaboration podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I hope you get the inspiration and information you need to harness the power of collaboration to break through your glass ceilings. Today, we're talking to Mark Gallagher of Performance Insights. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Natasha. Great to be with you. Now, Mark, you have held senior roles in uh, the high performance environment of formula 1 racing for over 30 years and today you're an author, broadcaster and industry analyst who continues to work with drivers and teams at the forefront of this global and very exciting sport.
1: Yeah, it's been a it's been quite a ride. Um, very enjoyable industry to be involved in and great to know that we're going to be talking about collaboration because success in formula 1 is all about collaboration between great organisations and teamwork between uh, formidable groups of people. So looking forward to having this chat.
0: I'm really actually, my only nervous element about today's conversation is I can keep us to time because there's so much content here to cover. But let's start with your background. Where do you hail from, Mark?
1: So I come from Northern Ireland. I was born in Belfast. I went to university there, uh, studied business and economics, and then at the age of 21, when I came out of university, I uh, was actually going to take a career in accountancy, but I found myself in London and happened by chance to apply for a job in a Formula One magazine, actually the leading Formula One publication in Europe. And amazingly, I got that job and I really thought I would do it like as a gap year job for a bit of fun. And here I am, uh, a very much longer time later, many, many decades later, having spent my whole career working in Formula One. So that's how I got started. And I really spent the first eight years of my career working in the media and that gave me a very good grounding in communications. And because I'd done my my degree in business and, and, and economics, I think that opportunity to spend time in working with the media meant that by the time I was kind of turning 30, I had a really good grounding in marketing communications and that really then triggered be- what became my executive career uh, at Jordan Grand Prix, Red Bull Racing and everything that's happened since then.
0: For those that are really um, Formula One enthusiasts, can you just reiterate for us, so the Jordan Grand Prix team, Yeah. Uh, just reiterate for us your Formula One Uh, career history. Yes, so
1: so for those of you who are F1 fans, um, you will know Jordan Grand Prix. It's now the Aston Martin Formula One team today. Well, we started that company back in 1990. So it was a startup. Um, I think there were 33 of us on the payroll right at the beginning. Um, I was responsible for as I said, marketing and communications, and we had our first year in Formula One in 1991, and actually it was at the 1991 Adelaide Grand Prix, which is, which has gone down in the record books as the shortest ever Formula One race due to torrential rain. Um, it was at the Adelaide Grand Prix in '91 that I met my future wife, Natalie, who's from the Barossa. And so hence the connection here with, with Adelaide and South Australia. And I was with Jordan Grand Prix for effectively a decade and a half. Very much, uh, Natasha, through the typical cycle that a lot of successful startups uh, go through. You know, we went through the growth phase. We became very successful. And we actually sold the team to private equity. It was a private equity buyout. And then I was headhunted from there to Red Bull, and joined Red Bull at the time they acquired a Formula One team. And it's interesting, for those of you who are not into Formula One, uh, you probably think that Red Bull own a Formula... Uh, sorry, sponsor a Formula One team. They don't actually sponsor a team. They own a Formula One team outright, which is a technology business. And I was on the in at the foundation of Red Bull Racing. And then I finished my executive career as uh, managing director of a company which again, the Formula One fans will recognize uh, a company called Cosworth, which actually after Ferrari is the second most successful engine manufacturer in Formula One history. And I ran the Cosworth Formula One business up until 2012. So, so that, those were my three uh, major executive roles, Jordan Grand Prix, Red Bull Racing, and then Cosworth. And uh, each, each one of them taught me a great deal and each one of them was, was fun in its own way.
0: I love hearing the story about how you met your wife and the connection to Adelaide, <laughs> South Australia. I want to delve into the technology business that yeah. you described, Formula One, in yeah. a little bit more detail. But can you just share with us what you're doing now?
1: So as a result of uh, actually what you're passionate about, Natasha, collaboration. So one of the things about collaboration is... that is Uh, the degree to which we as business people are curious to find out what other people are doing. How can we work together? How can we learn? And that actually very much triggered what I do now because when I had executive roles in Formula One, I started to be asked by companies to come and talk to them about what can we learn from Formula One. So initially I would be asked to talk about leadership or teamwork and then after a while people would ask me quite specific topics. Can you come and talk to us about what the way in which Formula One has embraced digital transformation or can you come and talk to us about the fact that Formula One is a, is a highly innovative place So, how do you drive an innovation mindset in a Formula One team? Um, so really since t- 2012 I've turned all of those requests that I used to get into a business and i I just talk to companies all over the world about what they can learn from Formula One as a as a business. And it's really intriguing, Natasha, because in any given week I can find myself talking to an SME where there's a business leader who just that they're eager to grow their business or I can find myself talking to a multinational company. And if if you because of the global pandemic, um I've stayed in um, the Barossa this year for five months, and I've been doing all of my presentations online. So instead of flying all over the world, my carbon footprint has rather reduced. But to give you a snapshot of the last two weeks running up to this podcast recording, I've spoken to all the leadership of Haagen-Dazs ice cream globally. They had a big leadership conference. They've got. They've had a few few topics that were really important to them. Um, I've talked to Microsoft uh, in Europe. I've talked to a couple of major technology companies, and in fact, tomorrow I have an event with a company called KX, which is uh, KX is um, a data analytics company, and they are having a, a major uh, initiative, ma- major marketing initiative in Europe. And so tomorrow I'm joining with David Coulthard, who's an ex Formula One driver, and we're going to be talking to their. Uh, customers about the benefit of analytics and why data analytics is such an important opportunity for companies to learn how to use the connected world within which we now live in order to develop better products and solutions. So my, really since 2012, Performance Insights does exactly what it says in the name. I provide insights into the world of Formula One for the benefit of wider business audiences.
0: So let's uh, stand in the shoes of a business owner of a medium-sized established business. What can we learn from Formula One? I imagine it's about, you know, you've talked about data analytics, innovation, digital transformation, I imagine safety, leadership, teamwork. Can you give us, just share some tips?
1: Sure. I think one of the things that I've come to realise over the years is that All companies face very similar challenges. Uh, Obviously, everyone's at a different point on their growth curve and the life cycle of their business. But for a lot of SME owners, there will be, for example, there will have been a, a golden nugget idea that triggered their business. There'll have been a core thing which made their business happen. But as the business matures and grows, it's kind of what do we do next? How do we evolve that product or service? What else could we offer our customers? How can we keep our customers engaged. And I think this is where innovation and creativity that I mentioned earlier on becomes important and why collaboration becomes important. Because as you grow as a business, you get to a point where you know you can plateau. And you can you can keep on employing fifty or hundred or two hundred people and 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 have a nice lifestyle and run your business. But if you have ambitions to go above that, to scale your business further how do you move to that that next level? So in the case of Formula One, as an example, what we've seen in the last 15 years in particular is that the business model that Formula One teams used to operate to, which was a business model based on sponsorship, that business model actually broke. And we've now moved to a very different business model where we offer a much broader range of products and services to a much more diverse range of customers and by diversifying our capability as businesses we've really accelerated the growth of the businesses. So we've learned how to play to our core strengths and and how to innovate new products and services and one of the ways we've done that is by collaborating with partners to learn from each other and to grow opportunities and as a result... Uh, Natasha, if you if you came back to Europe with me, I'm going back next month, but if, if you came I'm back... I'm
0: happy to come back. Yeah, yeah sure. Be, that sounds great, so, yeah, yeah, as long as
1: there's no quarantine involved in London. <laughs> yeah. But we're okay at the moment coming from Australia. But <laughs> if you came back with me to Europe and I took you into the Williams Formula One team or the Red Bull Formula One team or the McLaren Formula One team, instead of showing you racing cars, I would be showing you technology solutions that they are developing for companies in healthcare, in pharmaceuticals, in defense, in aerospace, in automotive. And the thing that people are amazed by is how can Formula One teams develop these solutions for all these, these different types of customers? And the answer is we play to our core strengths. We have learned how to take a step back from the coal face of our business and say, okay, well, you know, motor racing looks like it's the thing we do. Actually, that's not the thing we do. The thing we do is to develop great technology solutions. It so happens that one of the technology solutions we develop is a Formula One car. But another technology solution could be, as has happened in the last year, ventilators for the healthcare sector. And I think when the ventilator story came out last year, a lot of the media around the world were slightly confused and intrigued as to how is it possible for a Formula One team to develop a healthcare product like a ventilator for use during the the global pandemic, the answer is that's what we do. We develop technology solutions. And, you know, bring us your problem and we will bring you a solution. We'll rapidly prototype a solution because that's what we do in Formula One. So why can't we do it in other sectors? And therefore, at the moment, Natasha, when you look at what's going to happen over the next ten years with the decarbonisation of the world's economy, Formula One teams are sitting on a goldmine because we're, we're looking at companies saying, "Well, so what do you currently use fossil fuels for?" Because we can perhaps help you to develop energy efficiency solutions or to move away from using fossil fuels. Or so we look at we look at all of these challenges as an opportunity because. Actually, thanks to collaboration, when you go out there into the big wide world, you usually find that someone has already found a solution somewhere. It's just a question of integrating all of those ideas to come up with new added value products and services that you can bring to market. So in many respects, I'm passionate about a Formula One today, quite frankly, not because of the car racing. I'm passionate about it because of what the businesses are doing Monday to Friday, 52 weeks of the year innovating great products.
0: So let's delve into collaboration. This podcast is entitled The Power of Collaboration. You said bring us your problem. Can you just delve into some more case studies around where you've seen collaboration in different industries through Formula One?
1: A good example is in Formula One today, we we have reduced our use of gasoline by about 50% over the last 10 years and yet we have the same performance. So if if you take something like the amount of energy that your company currently utilizes and we can show you a way to reduce your energy consumption by 50% and yet have the same output. There is an amazing there's an amazing outcome. People are immediately interested. It's going to save me money, it's going to reduce my carbon footprint, it's going to help my carbon decarbonization etc. Now, if you talk to Honda, so Honda is a company that I have had a good fortune to work with during my career. So when Honda were faced with reducing fuel consumption in their Formula One team by Formula One engine by up to 50%, they actually collaborated internally with another division. And the division they collaborated with was the bit of Honda that designs and develops jet airplanes. Not many people know that Honda is a jet aircraft manufacturer but they make they make turbos t- turbines for for jet aircraft and by taking the engineers from the the jet engine division and bringing them into the formula 1 program the engineers from the jet engine division were able to show the formula 1 team how to develop a much smaller much more efficient type of turbocharger which can produce a huge amount of electrical power, which charges the electrical battery in our cars and means that our car is a fully hybrid uh, vehicle. So without going into all the nitty-gritty of the technology, simply by Honda reaching out to one group of technicians in a completely disparate part of their business, you know, by re- reaching out to the guys and girls working in, in aerospace technology, they were able to learn from them and import that idea into the development of the engines that we use in in Formula One. So that's one example. But if I broaden it out to to think of another case study, and again, I'm I'm sorry to bore you with stories of energy efficiency, but it is a big topic, of course, for the world at the minute. Um, The Williams Formula One team was approached by a supermarket chain in the United Kingdom called Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's have 1,400 supermarkets in the UK, so they're a big major player. And the chief executive of Sainsbury's told Frank Williams, who owns a Williams F1 team, that his biggest problem is the amount of energy that they use as supermarkets. And uh, here's a statistic to think about. So the supermarkets in the UK, when added together, use 1% of the UK's, UK's entire electricity consumption. So they're pretty heavy consumers. And the single biggest source of consumption is frozen and chilled food. Because to freeze and chill all those f- food products in supermarkets, they use a vast amount of electricity. It not only freezes and chills the food; it also freezes and chills the customers. Because if you've ever walked down the aisle in the frozen food section or chilled goods, you come out the other you have end. To wear like, your woolly jumper. You, you come out the other end looking like Sir finds you know, coming off Everest. I mean, you're just. You know, your nose has got frostbite. Um, So Williams did a project for Sainsbury's and they evaluated what was happening and they realised that actually the key problem was keeping the cold air in the fridges and freezers and the warm air around the customers. And I think Sainsbury's thought that Williams would come up with some kind of clever thermostat or, you know, some kind of piece of hardware that they would plug in and, and kind of just reduce energy consumption... What actually happened, Natasha, was that the Williams aerodynamicists, so these are the guys and girls who designed the wings for Formula One cars, the aerodynamicists went to work on airflow and they figured out how to keep the cold airflow in the fridges and freezers and the warm airflow around the customers. And they developed a very simple aerodynamic device which can be retrofitted to fridges and freezers. And that device has reduced Sainsbury's energy consumption by 20%. Wow. Now, here's the punchline, because I know that next to collaboration, scalability of businesses is really important to you, Mm -hmm. Natasha. Mm -hmm. So when Williams developed that product for Sainsbury's, Williams owned the IP, and they were then able to take that IP and offer it to all the other supermarket chains worldwide, and they have now had orders for 45,000 of these retrofitted devices and Walmart and other major chains like Aldi and Lidl have acquired that technology. Now, there's an example of collaboration. So you have a supermarket brings a Formula One team a problem and the problem is developed by perhaps the people who you would least think would work on a supermarket project, which is Formula One aerodynamics. but they bring their no way and their capability to bear on someone else's problem and they develop a solution. And I love that kind of case study because it shows the power of collaboration. It also shows the power of diversity of thinking. So you get diverse groups of people applying their, their know-how to a problem. And actually the more diversity of thought you bring to the problem, the more likely you are to get solutions to it. So I think we all suffer from, from getting a tunnel vision in any business. And even in Formula One, we we have the same thing where people get so entrenched in their ways of thinking. So the, the benefit of collaboration is that once you throw off those shackles and you start looking outside your business, how can we work together? How can I learn from that company down the road who's doing something that might not necessarily be directly related to my business, but we have that opportunity to network and to talk to other business leaders and and so when you've invited me to speak on the podcast and explain to me about uh, South Australian leaders I mean to me this is kind of music to my ears because this is exactly what drives the success within my industry.
0: Thank you Mark thanks for those kind words I do hope that Drake's, Romeo's, Chapley's etc from the Foodland group are listening to that story (laughs) I do get very cold sometimes walking down my uh, supermarket aisle locally Um, I love this, um, you know, as you said, throw off the shackles. You could use vulnerability and people's openness to collaborating with competitors. Co-opetition is is a word I banter around a bit. You talked about the problem of energy. Mm. Can you just, um, out of interest, are there any other problems you've seen solved? I like knowing that the world's problems are being solved by smart people collaborating. Can you share... What other problems are we solving out there
1: yeah I mean it's interesting I mean if I, I'll give you a couple of a couple of other examples one was a project that McLaren the McLaren formula one team have done with Birmingham Children's Hospital now McLaren uh, as a company have focused on a couple of specific areas for their diversification and one of the areas they're focused on is data acquisition and data analytics. So literally putting sensors on something, gathering data, and then doing something useful with that information. And the project they did with Birmingham Children's Hospital was to effectively develop the capability for nurses to simultaneously monitor perhaps up to 20 babies in intensive care. So old style, the nurse has to visit each baby and every ten or fifteen minutes has to visit each child in its intensive care bed and make a note of all the the figures and decide where you are with medication and all of that all of the other fine points of of um, pediatric uh, intensive care medication. What McLaren did was to show that they could simultaneously monitor all of these children and to to build a system a telemetry system that means that you could sit at a workstation. And you could actually monitor how all these children are being cared for real time. And it means that if any one child started to go outside normal operating parameters, you get a, you get a warning. You can do something about it. So that was a, a very simple example of how you take the telemetry and the data-driven environment of Formula One and you, cre- you create a connected environment within a childcare facility. Now, I think we all are aware, if, if anyone's got a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, we all know that healthcare monitoring is a very fast growing area uh, of business. And I mean, what can be better than a future in which if your body starts to go wrong, you know, the healthcare industry can help you instantaneously. You don't wait until you develop a problem. You actually can head it off at the pass. So Formula One regards this opportunity to use data acquisition and data analytics for opportunities in, in fields like healthcare. And that, for me, helps to solve some quite big societal problems because as we all know, and Natasha, I think before we recorded this podcast, you know, we were talking about the fact that you know, within healthcare, the costs of healthcare are phenomenal. Now, one of the things that will be very helpful to governments is if you can prevent people developing serious conditions because they've got real-time healthcare management, well, that's potentially gonna save society and save governments and taxpayers a great deal of money in the future. So that's again why there's such a, a major rush towards that. And so whenever I, if I look back over the last three or four years, Whenever I've been asked to talk to companies like GE um, about how we use analytics in Formula One, it's actually GE's healthcare division that wants to know about that because that, that's where a company like GE sees an opportunity. They want to uh, move into analytics and connectivity for healthcare uh, monitoring. Um, the former Prime Minister of uh, the UK, Theresa May, she's diabetic, and she had a small diabetic patch, which is uh, one of these smart patches. And there was a lot of commentary about that at the time. And again, the company that developed that is using the self-same approach that we use in Formula One to get you a know, connected solutions. So it's we see opportunities for... Innovation in our field to be exported into uh, lots of areas that potentially have benefits to society. And let's face it, if you're going to scale your business, what can be a better way of doing it than to develop something that has as broad an appeal as possible um, and to tap into that opportunity?
0: So just linking back to South Australia now, so a big thanks to Natalie for being... <laughs> Uh, taking your eye.
1: It wasn't that can I just interrupt you, Tasha, <laughs> t- and tell you that there was a major influence on that weekend that I met my wife in 91, and that is that she came to the Grand Prix with me and on the first morning we were having uh, coffee and, and uh, a bite to eat uh, at the team facility in the paddock. And she leant across the table and she said to me, she said, that guy sitting on the table next to us looks just like Michael Hutchins. And I said, that's because it is Michael Hutchins. Actually, the whole of NXS are our guests for the weekend. And she, I think, nearly fell off her chair. And and I tell you that because when I met her parents for the first time, I always remember her younger sister opening the front door and the very first words her sister ever said to me were, do you really know Michael Hutchins? <laughs> so, <laughs> that obviously had a big effect on on the whole family. So I have um, I have the late Michael Hutchins to, to say thank you to for uh, impressing. I think he probably impressed my wife a lot more than I did at the time. But anyway, she ended up marrying me. So
0: uh, What a great story. Well, I mean, who doesn't love in excess? My, my claim to fame is I sat with the Ferris brothers at a Port Power football <laughs> match when they sang <laughs> Never Tear Us Apart on the Oval. And... I still—that's my still my favourite Facebook post, um, and my favourite moment. So that was your
1: m- moment of, of yeah, rock yeah, star glory. In excess, yeah.
0: a, a, a legend. So, but um, she married you, not yeah. Michael. Yeah. And as I said in my podcast last um, month with Louise Rowe, I love uncovering secrets in Adelaide, and I think you're a great gem of a secret that we've got here, and I can't wait for more people to know that you're based here in Adelaide and that you've got this wealth of knowledge and and connections to bring to business here. So what is the opportunity that you see for South Australians?
1: Well, the the first thing that uh, really resonates for me spending a bit of time here in South Australia is that I come from a corner of the UK which has a very similar population. So Northern Ireland has a population of almost... Identical to South Australia, and Northern Ireland punches way above its weight, and it punches way above its weight because we have this very close business network. And there is a saying back home in Northern Ireland that if you can if you can make it in Northern Ireland, you can make it anywhere because it's a it's a small, highly competitive market. We
0: say that here about Adelaide. Yeah, actually. well, there you go. Yeah, same, so same. you know,
1: it's, it's a small, highly competitive market. If you can make a million. In Northern Ireland, you'll make a billion, you know, around the world, um, and it is a very closed network, and very much like South Australia. One of the things that I've noticed, and this will come as no surprise to any of you, is that everyone knows everyone here. I mean, this is a it's a small it's a it's a small business community you know, we're all supposed to be, what, two or three steps removed. I think everyone here is probably one step uh, removed and probably thanks to you, Natasha, even closer than that. So so there's actually a huge opportunity in South Australia for people to, to innovate. And um, I was reading last night uh, a quote from the late Colin Chapman. Chuck Colin founded the Lotus Car Company and... Um, had a very famous career, slightly infamous at the end of his career because he was also caught up in the DeLorean. He produced the chassis for the DeLorean car, which um, Back to the Future fans will will remember very well. But Colin invented this uh, word. He said, to innovate, you have to imagine.
0: Yeah, great word.
1: And um, and he was a real innovator. And it was all about using your imagination. Where could we go to next? What, what else could we do? And... When I meet people in industries that, for example, have been quite traditional. So if you take the wine industry, I mean, naturally, because I live in the Barossa, I meet lots of people in the wine industry. And I, having, you know, lived my life in Europe, I know the popularity of Australian wines in Europe. I mean, Australian wines are incredibly popular. And I see see lots of opportunity to to take the blinkers off and to think about new ways to market products, to offer customers the opportunity to acquire your products, to provide services, to... You know, if you think about the growth of subscription-based services where, you know, if you look at Netflix, um, you know, there's, there's the famous story about the growth of Netflix at the same time as Blockbusters went, went under, you know. The very notion of paying a small fee each month for which you have access to this catalogue of of entertainment. I mean, you know, all of my family, all of my friends, all of my extended family, all seem to now be subscribers to Netflix. So, and actually, if you look at it, it's a beautifully simple model. And I think across so many other industries, there are opportunities to, to innovate. So when I look at South Australia, I, I think to myself, there's there's clearly a lot of talent here. People are ambitious. Uh, they like making money. That's not a dirty word. That's good. You know, we all want to. We all want to be successful. You've got a very highly educated population. Fantastic working environment. Literally great. A great environment here. And living environment. And a great, and, absolutely yeah. fat. You know, world class living environment here. Who wouldn't want to come and work here? My son has completely independently of me. My son has has uh, ended up coming to work in in Adelaide for the uh, space agency and and there is a good example of where you can create opportunity so whoever decided that the space agency should be in Adelaide and th- they have led that's led to an influx of talent and it's now leading to an influx of companies because so many companies want to be part of the space race and i think you know unless you've all had been hiding in a bunker for the last uh, year thanks to the pandemic you know you can't but realise that uh, the space race has taken off in a big way over the last couple of years thanks to SpaceX, thanks to Blue Origin there is a vast opportunity in the space industry and that's located here you know let's be completely clear that's in Adelaide and there are huge opportunities for people who have the ambition to get involved and you don't need to be excuse the pun, a rocket scientist to get mm-hmm. involved in the space uh, industry. You just have to be interested in developing innovative engineering solutions. And and so I see South Australia as having um, uh, huge opportunities in front of it. And I think the kind of activity that, that you lead, Natasha, in terms of bringing people together and encouraging network and and collaboration and innovation we just need to supercharge that. That just we just need more of that.
0: Yeah, supercharge, great word. Collaboration underpins, as you said, all this opportunity, whether it be in clean energy, space, defence, um, the wine sector, um, events, and and motorsport. We we've got a great history here, and there's exciting opportunities in that space for for Adelaide. So you're right. It really is the enabler, the the activator, and um, that's why I'm so passionate about collaboration and connection and trust and relationships amongst people to create great businesses and outcomes. Mark, there's so much here. to We could talk for hours. Um, I might just get you to end this conversation with um, one little practical tip you'd like to share with the audience.
1: Wow, a practical tip. Uh, I I think my my most practical tip uh, given, given my experiences in Formula One and how they translate into wider business, is absolutely the importance of pushing yourself back from the cold face of the business, the day-to-day humdrum, mundane reality, and trying to look at the big picture of your business, your industry, and also what's happening outside. And and this is a point that I make after actually quite a lot of presentations that I give Natasha. If I look at how the business of Formula One has developed over the last 20 years, we, we have had an existential crisis every four years. So every four years something has happened which has left us sitting thinking, are we going to be able to pay the bills next year? Mm. Wow you know, the ban on tobacco sponsorship. I mean, anyone who ever went to the Adelaide Grand Prix when it was here in the 1980s, 1990s, all the cars were sponsored by tobacco companies. Yes. It got banned. Mm. And I remember sitting in my office thinking, how are we going to survive this? The banking crisis, financial crisis of 2008. I mean, all the banks who sponsored Formula One ran out the door faster than you could say subprime mortgage. I mean, they were all gone. So we've been through a number of existential challenges. Environmental sustainability is another one. Lots of companies started to tell us that they would not do business with Formula One teams because we burn fossil fuels, we travel all over the world and we basically burn the planet live on television every two weeks. And that's why Formula One developed a carbon neutral strategy and we, are a, we will abandon fossil fuels in, in four years' time. So when I look at all of the existential crisis... The thing that has helped us to to not only overcome the crisis, but to move up a gear in terms of our business has been the ability to push back, look at the big picture and say, how do we drive value here? And actually the value most often gets driven by having a conversation with your customers. Because when you say to your customer, what else can I do for you? You know, We currently have a transactional relationship. You buy this product or you buy this service from me. You you have that relationship. What else can I do for you? Actually, most customers are very happy to tell you what they would love you to do for them. And that actually becomes an incredibly simple way of moving your business forward.
0: So if anyone listening takes nothing else from this amazing conversation, how do you drive value? connecting with your customers and asking them and taking that strategic lens and working on your business, not just getting stuck working in your business. Um, You know, I, I urge people just to think about that and what that means for them. Thank you for your time, Mark.
1: It's been a pleasure, Natasha. Great to be here.
0: And thank you to those listening who have joined us for this podcast. At South Australian Leaders, we are all about collaboration and community. If you're curious to know more about how we help businesses and leaders just like you to scale and grow beyond their glass ceilings, then visit our website at www.saleaders.com.au. And please don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with your network and write a review if you really enjoyed it. This has been an Audiosity production. I'm Natasha Milani, and I look forward to chatting with you next time. Happy connecting, and see you soon.